The Tom Woods Show, episode 1786. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody, you ever get the feeling that you're living in a completely different reality from your friends and coworkers? I have a funny feeling you could use a haven of sanity right about now. Well, a wildly disproportionate percentage of the dwindling number of normal people in the world can be found inside the Tom Woods Show elite. Join me there and find yourself a haven of sanity. Entry is at supportinglisteners.com. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. All right, before we get into the meat of today's episode, a couple things to tell you. First, it is Black Friday today as I release this episode, and that means a couple of things. Number one, libertyclassroom.com master membership, way, way, way lower than usual. Big discount on that. That's every single course we ever create. This is history, economics. This is the cure for educational malpractice. You and I both suffered it, and I'm going to help you overcome it with courses you can listen to anytime you want, when you're in your car, wherever, and they're taught by me and by other PhDs. They're all people that you and I trust, and you're going to get the real thing that you should have gotten the first time, but for whatever reason, it's not the material they gave you, and you're just going to love it. You'd be like a kid in a candy store in there. The Master Membership also includes the hundreds of video and audio files I created for the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum, and that's all history And yes, it's designed for high schoolers, but there's no adult who's going to feel like I'm talking down to you in those videos at all. Uh, Again, audio files too. You can listen to them on the go. This is a huge, huge amount of material, and it's going to help you an awful lot. You'll be able to defend yourself and uh, defend our views much more effectively. Plus, you'll just understand how the world works better, and you can't put a price tag on that. So check that out at libertyclassroom.com. Second thing remember, I'm always helping my listeners get their websites out there and get some traffic to them. And I do that when people get their web hosting through my Bluehost link. Well, Bluehost also has its best prices of the entire year on this weekend. Their best prices of the whole year. So if you've been thinking about doing that, as you've heard me promote people's websites, now's the time to lock that price in because they won't be repeating it for another year. So do that by going to tomwoods.com slash blue or just get all the details, including that link, on how you get all my bonuses and all the ways I'll help you with your website at tomwoods.com slash publicity. So this is the time to act. All right, so now we're going to play you the audio of this talk. And just so you know, the lav mic that I had uh, on my lapel, apparently there was some issue with it because when I got the audio back from the, the AV people, there were glitches throughout the whole thing. The audio would just drop for a split second, then come back in. Then maybe it would drop for a second or two. And it was... Not quite unlistenable, but I think some people would have just turned it off. So instead, we're using the general room microphone, which means it's a little echoey, but you won't have any trouble making out any of the words. But just so you know, I thought that was a better trade-off. I'd rather have that than have a, a somewhat crisper audio that keeps just going in and out. So in case you're wondering, I know most of you will say, Woods, we don't even care about these crazy audiophile obsessions you have. I understand that, but you have to let me just get them off my chest. Now, having done that, here we go. Here's the event. Hope you enjoy it. But I want to start off by saying we have just lived through and are continuing to live through the greatest public health fiasco in the history of the world. And it's being touted as a triumph. It's the most Orwellian moment in American history, if you ask me. And what's more, in the course of this, we've been pitted against each other. 
neighbor against neighbor, family member against family member. You're a bad person because you went out to dinner tonight. You're a bad person. You did this, you did that, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. The authorities told us we have to do this or that, you didn't do that, you're a bad person. You don't follow the science, but I do, they say. Okay, these are people who yell at you for not wearing a mask while you're jogging, and they're gonna lecture you about not listening to the science, okay. Well, if you're going to dissent from this crazy lunacy that surrounds us everywhere we turn, you're gonna need to know what you're talking about. Because if you know what you're talking about, you can win this argument a million different ways. So what this resource page is, it's a list of people to follow, websites to consult, and where to find some very important charts that I'm gonna be talking about later. Some of these websites, for example, compile all the examples of the human toll of lockdowns themselves. The deaths from COVID itself are, a, as tragic as they are, a drop in the bucket compared to the long-term effects of these horrific policies. Now, I think everybody needs this resource page, not just the people in this room who are getting a physical copy. So anybody watching the video who wants these resources, you can get them from me electronically. And you can do that by texting the word Corona to the number 33444, and I'll send this to you. Uh, that's for people in the United States. If you're not in the United States, by the time you're seeing this video, I'll have a page at tomwoods.com slash corona where you can get these resources. Now, as we've seen, and as I think we knew already, it is very, very tempting to want to position oneself as morally superior to other people. It's very hard to resist that temptation for some of us. So, for example, the governor of Nevada a week or so ago scolded citizens of his state for their bad behavior. Because as we all know, only bad behavior can account for the rise of cases. And he basically told them, I'm not gonna come back two weeks from now and give you people another chance. And treating everybody like they're seven. They're just innocently going about trying to make their living, for heaven's sake. Three days after this little lecture, you know how the story ends, he came down with the virus. After he just lectured everybody about this. And he said, you can take all the precautions there are and still get it. I have no idea how I got it. Should we lecture him for his bad behavior? Should we treat him like he's seven? The whole thing's ridiculous. Then the former Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, posted this on Twitter, November 15th. I so appreciate everyone's good wishes. How did we catch it? I don't know. We wore masks, we socially distanced, we avoided crowds, we haven't had people in our house. Hmm. Then just yesterday in the Los Angeles Times, we read the following. The virus itself hasn't changed and there has been little relaxation of the rules. Yeah, you'd say that again in California. Interviews conducted with people who have recently tested positive for the coronavirus don't show any significant shifts in behavior compared with a month ago. And yet they have rising cases. Well, there's a fellow on Twitter who's hated by all the doomers named Alex Berenson, and he likes to say, virus gonna virus. And our attempted voodoo to stop it doesn't seem to be all that effective. Now, and isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? No significant shifts in behavior admitted by the Los Angeles Times. No significant shifts in behavior, yet there's a rise in cases. So 
This takes away all the fun of blaming wicked people for the rise. And, and, and there are people who just thrive on this, how, telling people how terrible they are. Okay. Well, of course, one indication that you're a terrible person is that you don't wear a mask. Now, most people wear masks. That's a fact. Most people wear masks. If masks don't adequately bring down the number of cases, then we're told people must not be wearing them. It can't be that they're inadequate, that they don't really do much. It has to be well, just people aren't compliant. But yet you look around, everybody's got them on. Uh, the United States now has approximately an 88% compliance rate. And we were told if we could just get to 80%, that, would, that should pretty much do it. In fact, the head of the CDC said that if Americans would just wear masks for four to six weeks, then we should see things really start to peter out. Now, even Michael Osterholm, who's on the Biden COVID team, said that remark was, quote, unfortunate. The word unfortunate is academic speak for BS. Because all you need to do now is look at charts of countries that have been masked up for months at a time. And the cases are still rising. So, so much for that claim. So, whatever argument you want to have about the effectiveness of masks, the claim that was advanced by the CDC director that four to six weeks of masking should do it is disproven in case after case, country after country around the world, it is disproven. On that resource page I gave you, I have some links to look at these charts yourselves. And these are charts of cases in the UK, Belgium, Spain, Italy, France, all over the world, the Czech Republic, and try to guess where on that chart the mask mandate went into effect. The way it's portrayed to us in the media, you would think the cases went up, the mask mandate went into effect, and then the cases came down. That is not how these charts look at all. It's almost entirely random. Where It doesn't matter where the mask mandate goes, virus gonna virus. It's astonishing. Once you see these charts, you can't unsee them. And the point is, if masks were that powerful that the CDC director could make that claim, these charts should not look that way. Period. End of discussion. And yet, would there be a Facebook fact check of that statement by the CDC director, which is amply disproven by the lived experience of numerous countries around the world? And we even have somebody on Biden's COVID team calling it unfortunate, which of course means false. But that's not false. No, nothing is false that leads to inconvenience and pain and irritation. That's always true for some reason. That's the general rule. So it's true, as um, Eric said, I had a talk called The COVID Cult that's on YouTube. And between Facebook and YouTube at the time I'm talking to you, it's had nearly 1.2 million views. So I got, for the first time ever, First time ever, I was fact-checked by Facebook. Now, I was naive. I thought, that's not going to happen to me because I'm meticulous in following the data and having citations for everything I say. This won't happen to me. Oh, I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry for my naivete. How could I have thought such a thing? No, no. But what was great about it was that under the video, they don't just link you to some generic article about how great locking people in their houses is. No, it's a specific article about me, about my video. They actually went to the trouble of going through my video and trying to answer all my claims. I actually remember thinking at the time, I wonder how somebody would answer any of these claims. Now I got my wish. And the answer is pretty darn badly. 
For example, one of the things I mentioned in my talk is something that I hope you're all familiar with, and in case you're not, it's right there on your piece of paper. And that's something called the Great Barrington Declaration. Great Barrington's a little town in western Massachusetts, and it's the site where three academics, uh, one from Harvard, one from Stanford, one from Oxford, gathered to sign a declaration about what public health policy should be in the future with regard to this virus. Now that statement simply says that lockdowns have such horrendous public health effects that they cannot be considered seriously. And that instead, especially since we know the age differential when it comes to the lethality of the virus, we should accommodate that, we should respond to that in such a way as to protect people who are most vulnerable while at the same time allowing society to function, because that way we avoid all these catastrophic consequences of lockdown. Now, as it turns out, of course, you know, those people would be accused of being you know, right-wingers who are funded by the Koch brothers, right? Sunitra Gupta at Oxford, who's one of the three signers, said, you know, actually, believe it or not, it really doesn't cost that much money to write a little statement and put it on the internet, you know? But we don't really need to be funded by anybody. And she says, but for the record, I haven't received any money for this. And also for the record, I'm on the left, she said. I'm on the left. The guy from Harvard, I'm pretty sure, is also on the left. That leaves the guy from Stanford, who I think may be on the right, but you don't know, because they've tried not to politicize it. So I made reference to the Great Barrington Declaration, and the fact check of that was, health officials say that's a bad strategy. That was the entirety of the fact check. Okay, well, these experts say they have a bad strategy. Now what? Do I fact check you? What a fiasco this is. So then they didn't like the fact that I had these mask charts because they say, look, there could be many reasons that one country is doing better than another, but that wasn't my point. For the most part, I wasn't comparing one country with another. I was comparing each country with itself and saying, you could not pin the tail on this donkey if you tried. If I show you the chart and say, where did the mask mandate go into effect, you would have no idea, nothing. It's random. No response to that. Then I was told, well, you're cherry picking because you're only looking at, for example, I point out that Norway basically doesn't wear masks and they have very, very few deaths and basically nobody's wearing masks. I won't mention Sweden because that makes them go completely berserk. They can't think properly at all. As soon as you say Sweden, it's like the rotors are going off in the wrong way, direction or something, and the, the gears are all... So I'm not going to mention Sweden. I'm going to be a sport today. Mention Norway. And they came back with, well, but you know, Japan is a case of a country that did wear masks and that had few deaths, so why don't you mention Japan? Well, Japan's a fascinating case. Because back in April, when everybody was hysterical that Japan was doing the wrong thing, I didn't hear any of these doomers at the time saying, oh, don't worry, Japan's going to be fine, they're all wearing masks. That is not what they were saying. And the thing is, we have the internet. We can go back and look at what they were saying. It's right there. They were not saying, don't worry about Japan, they don't need a hard lockdown. They're all wearing masks. They were not saying that. They were saying Japan is going to be overwhelmed, their hospitals are going to be overwhelmed, they've made all kinds of mistakes, this is they're lackluster, they haven't tested enough, we got all this stuff. They might have tested 5% as much as South Korea did. They didn't bother obsessively testing asymptomatics. And they had only a half-hearted lockdown. Well, here are some of the headlines we had in April. 
Now notice these headlines do not say, Japan will be fine, they're all wearing masks. No, it was in science we read, did Japan miss its chance to keep the coronavirus in check? Well, we know the answer to that, no. Thanks for asking, but no. Washington Post, Japan's coronavirus response is too little too late. Well, that sounds really confident, doesn't it? Japan did fine. Japan has an incredibly low death rate. But they're confidently saying too little too late. Not even the decency of a question mark. You know, they could have said too little too late. You know, at least give themselves an escape hatch. Nope. No punctuation whatsoever. <laughs> then later that month, we read in the same paper, how hostess bars and cherry blossoms helped undermine Japan's coronavirus response. I don't even know what that means. I don't care, because Japan had a great coronavirus response. In the New Statesman, we read, how Japan's refusal to impose a coronavirus lockdown is dividing the country. Okay, well, I, I guess it divided the country between people who were right and people who were wrong, because it turns out they didn't need to do it. Another headline, how Shinzo Abe has fumbled Japan's coronavirus response. There are a lot of countries around the world who wish they could have fumbled the response the way Japan did. So yeah, I'm sorry, you don't get to spend weeks screaming about the inadequate Japanese response, during all of which Japan was wearing masks, more or less, and then when everything turns out fine, suddenly turn around and say, oh, I knew it all along. I knew it, I knew it was because of the masks. Sorry, please, just stop talking. You know, we just, just, that's enough, right? We've heard enough from you. Some of the people should just retire to a monastery, which the people used to do in the good old days. You know, just shut up for a while, sit in a monastery, leave the rest of us alone. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't realize how much support for the monastic tradition there would be in this world. Okay. I want to review with you, for the sake of completeness, I want to review with you some of the public health catastrophe of the lockdowns. I've done this several times in video form, but these videos get spread around and people need to hear this stuff. I wrote a post at TomWoods.com called Death by Lockdown. And I keep posting this every time people tell me what a terrible person I am because I don't favor locking people in their houses. And you know, look at all the deaths I'm going to cause. All right, well, even if I stipulate that that's right, that, that not locking people in their houses makes them die instantly, let's, let's stipulate that just to be good sports. It's still a ridiculous policy to lock them down because of these consequences. So I'll go through them quickly, but if you just Google, you know, Tom Woods death by lockdown, you can get all the details and you'll get links to mainstream sources for each one of these that your friends can't dispute. So the BBC, the United Nations, UNICEF, CBS News, all these sorts of sources that not in a million years would I ordinarily cite, but in this case, they accidentally told the truth once or twice, so I compiled all this accidental truth-telling into one blog post. So, for example, in the UK, uh, there are estimates that there will be about as many avoidable cancer deaths as COVID deaths uh, because of all this. And you won't see that right away, but people who might have lived another 15 to 20 years will wind up living another three or four uh, because they couldn't get their treatment because of the, the craze and the, and the fiasco. At least the British press has the honesty to say that the NHS was never overrun. They were never overwhelmed. But yet, all these people missed important screenings and treatments. In April, the UN estimated that the radical interruptions of commerce that took place because of the lockdowns could result in hundreds of thousands of additional child deaths in 2020, not to mention reducing 42 to 66 million children to extreme poverty. The Atlantic said, 
When you ask them to stay home, in many cases, you're asking them to starve. Who's them? People in the developing world. Can you imagine being such a sicko that you think lockdowns are an appropriate response in the developing world where people make maybe $2 a day? If they can't make that $2, I think we know what happens to them. And there, have, there are countries where the average age is pretty low. They don't have as many vulnerable people. The policy makes no sense at all. It's obviously going to kill magnitudes more people than the virus ever would. And I've given the example of Malawi, one of the poorest countries in the world, when they got wind of what their government was up to, going to shut them down, their people rose up, hat tip to Scott Atlas, and said, we're not doing this. There will be no shutdown in this country. And so there wasn't one in Malawi because the people refused to allow it. Here's something that was fact-checked by Facebook. In Oakland, California, something called the Wellbeing Trust released a study trying to figure out how many deaths of despair would be caused by all this. Now, they didn't mean just the lockdowns. Obviously, people might also resort to drug and alcohol abuse or suicide uh, because of the disease itself. That, that's certainly quite possible. But they said putting that all together, they did an estimate of about 75,000 excess deaths of despair, more than we would have had otherwise. And this was fact-checked. They said, well, we don't actually have these numbers yet. Okay, these are the same people who are modeling what the future is going to hold for the, for the virus. Well, we don't have those numbers yet either. I mean, how am I supposed to fact-check those? Those are all modeling for the future. These are the same people who went along with the Imperial College model or it could have been University of Washington, I forget which was one of the two mainstream models that predicted that by June, Sweden would have 96,000 deaths if it didn't lock down. They had 4,000. Would I have been allowed to fact check that back then and say, well, you don't have any evidence that there are gonna be 96,000 deaths because I would have been right. So they can model, I can't. Okay, that's the fact check. UNICEF warned of 1.2 million child deaths. Uh, and, and why? They said because visits to healthcare centers are declining due to lockdowns curfews, and transport disruptions, and as communities remain fearful of infection. Oxford University's Professor Gupta, whom I mentioned to you, continues to point to warnings by the UN that as many as 130 million people around the world are at risk of starvation because of the lockdowns. Now, that alone means we win. I mean, what, what, a, what a catastrophe this is. Not to mention suicidal ideation is dramatically on the rise in the U.S. Typically, the age range of 18 to 24 or 25, in a given 12-month period, somewhere between 6.8 and 11% of people in that age group contemplate suicide in that 12-month period. 25.5% of them contemplated it just in June alone. The CDC estimates 93,814 non-COVID excess deaths this year, including over 42,000 from cardiovascular conditions, nearly 11,000 from diabetes, 3,600 from cancer. Many of these were caused by the cancellation of so-called non-essential care in the midst of the COVID panic. As a direct result of the lockdowns, the New York Times admitted that over the next five years, there will be 1.4 million excess deaths from tuberculosis half million excess deaths from HIV, and 385,000 excess malaria deaths. But don't forget, you're the ones who don't care about human life because you'd like to go out and have a pizza.
These people are deeply moved by the plight of the, of the struggle. Here's the way somebody I know on social media put it. The East Coast is home to a little under 130 million people. And 130 million is the number of people in the world that our global overreaction to COVID has pushed to the brink of starvation, according to the World Health Organization. Do you support lockdowns? You may think you're being virtuous, but you're being selfish. Imagine driving from Portland, Maine, through Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, DC, Atlanta, Miami. Now imagine everybody you saw on your trip starving, all 130 million of them. Those are faces of lockdowns. Add to that people right here who are so afraid, right here at home, so afraid of COVID, they stay home while having strokes and heart attacks. They stay home or are delayed from chemo and other life-maintaining treatments. Some sit alone in despair, drinking alcohol or abusing drugs. Some lash out at spouses and children who have no school or social life in which to find refuge or help or detection. Kids growing up spending formative chunks of their lives learning that being close to another human is dangerous and the very breath we exhale is poison. And not to mention, we know the extent to which nonverbal communication contributes to ordinary baby and child development. We have babies growing up in a world where they've almost never seen a human face. I guess we're not supposed to worry about that either. You don't think that's gonna have long-term effects? Alzheimer's patients confused, lost in their own fading world with no one working to keep them afloat. They drown in their isolation. Grandparents denied the joy of one of the definitive pleasures of life, hugging a grandchild or seeing the joy of their faces Christmas morning. But lockdowns save lives, you cry. But denying human contact, scaring people to death, driving people to despair, is this saving lives? And how many lives does it save? All through the US and Europe, many places that locked down thought they stopped cases, but it wasn't lockdowns, it was summer. And when summer was over, COVID returned. Masks, social distancing, lockdowns, all ripped through by COVID like a football team running through a paper banner. No proms, no third grade shows in a crowded gym, no science fairs, no big games, no school that they used to say they didn't like, but now walk around like zombies pining for the interactions. Shortcomings in education lead to a lifetime of shortcomings from career choices and earning power to emotional development and family building. Supply chains disrupted, jobs lost, production slowed, 130 million people in danger of starvation. It's easy for many of us in the middle class to hunker down and work from home. Just buy a new computer for kids' remote schooling and work from the den. Not everybody has that option. The current state of lockdown science, such as it is, appears to be this. We have no idea what we're doing, but if something brings people pleasure, we, could, we should probably just discontinue that. And if something causes great inconvenience or even pain, we should probably do that. I can't make head or tail of the policy other than through that metric. There's a professor who posts on Twitter anonymously under the, the Twitter handle at COVID tweets. I put him on your resource page. So remember, get that if you haven't gotten it, text the word uh, Corona to 33444. And this professor just at random said, let's plot the deaths in North Carolina and Oklahoma. And as you know, North Carolina has been uh, pretty locked down, Oklahoma not as much. So let's look at the wildly different results they had. And you see, I just put this in my email newsletter the other day, they, they track each other perfectly, but no difference, so nothing. 
And I can keep on doing this. Now, you, the thing is, when you give an example like that, people will try to say, well, Oklahoma's different. They always have some, the excuse factory goes into overdrive, right? It can never be that the voodoo doesn't work, never. It's that we didn't give it to them good and hard enough. It's never that it doesn't work. It's never that we're trying to make it rain through rain dances, never. It's always that we're the scientists and you stupid rubes won't listen to us. That's, they love it that way. So I've used, even though you could come up with a lot of other examples, I'm particularly fond of an example I, I gave in that COVID cult talk you can find on YouTube that I also put in my newsletter. Four counties in Tennessee, and one of them limited restaurants to 25% capacity and closed bars. And then we show you know, the cases in each one. And I ask people, all right, I'm not gonna tell you which is which. Pick, it should be glaringly obvious. If these measures have an effect, we should see that. So you tell me, looking at these, so now these are the same people, they're all in Tennessee. So don't you tell me, well, that county is radically, come on now, no one's gonna buy that, don't even bother. So which one of these four is the one that engaged in this, this type of lockdown and which ones, did, you have no idea. Actually, it's the one that looks the worst. They actually have the, probably the worst outcome, but basically they all look pretty much the same. How about that? Virus gonna virus, hmm. Well, what's going on in Europe right now? Well, here, crunching the numbers is our friend Alex Berenson on Twitter. Now he says, France's seven day positive test average, and now I'm, I'm talking to you just to date this November 20th, 2020. Everybody knows what year it is, I suppose. France's seven day positive test average is now down almost 60% from the early November peak, and Spain is down 40% from its late October peak. So, of course, people will try to claim that the French lockdown on October 30th must account for this. But the problem with that story is Spain didn't lock down, and they still had that result. Spain did not close their businesses. They did impose a curfew 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. That was effective October 25th. But, as this, this fellow at COVID tweets points out, Cases had stabilized on the 20th, which means the infection peak was October 13th. So the Spain magical intervention helped before it even went into effect. Same thing with the UK. They enacted lockdown November 5th, but cases were flat since October 24th, and with a minimum seven-day delay between an infection and being counted as a case, infections were stable since mid-October. So again, lockdowns are so effective, they work two weeks before you even do them. You see, I mean, when you, as soon as you dig, you see through the BS. Germany, Germany's lockdown, November 2nd. But again, with the lag, their infections were flat since around October 25th. So the, these people are going to try to get away with claiming that the lockdowns did it. That's why we have to stay on top of the numbers, not let them. Same thing, we could say the same thing for, for Belgium as well. Well, there's a vaccine coming, people say, so maybe we'll return to normal. Now, maybe. Maybe. But yet, the Secretary of Health in Pennsylvania said, when people get the vaccine, they're still going to wear masks, they still need to social distance, and avoid large gatherings. And by large gatherings, you could translate that as everything fun. Okay, so what are we doing here? So again, we still have to live like this? Even after the vaccine? When are people going to leave us alone? By the way, maybe I shouldn't say, maybe it's out of line for me to say, but don't ever be intimidated by public health officials. <laughs> These were the kids who, by and large, weren't bright enough to get into medical school. 
and here's their one chance for people to pay attention to them, they're gonna take it. Well, then we get told every time anybody gathers that the doomers disapprove of politically, they say that's a super spreader event. See how scientific this all is? That's a super spreader event. So in this very state, Donald Trump had an event in Sanford, and we were all told, oh, it's going to be mass death everywhere. The death figures over the next two, three weeks after that continued to plummet in uh, Florida. So, you know, looking by uh, day of actual death, plummeted after that, so they just ignored that. They don't say, oops, sorry, we probably exaggerate. No, these people admitting they're wrong, they just go on to the next thing to make people frightened. Or it was the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota, like that led to, I mean, if, if these things were true, like every single American should have had it by now. Well, when that paper came out, said, well, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally led to 800 gazillion cake, whatever it was, even Slate wrote an article smashing that. And Slate is not known for defending Trump-supporting biker dudes, okay? They, the only reason for them to write that is that it was the truth. So as I've said before, doomers must have no idea the extent to which normal life has returned in a lot of places. Because every day in Florida, I witnessed 20 things that if the cartoon version of the virus were true, should lead to mass death, and yet they don't. And this, for some reason, leads to no curiosity. What, what are the peculiar characteristics of this virus that could account for this? Absolutely no curiosity about it at all. Now, there's a philosophical question that's buried within all this. And, of course, it has something to do with what life is all about and about assessing risk. So here we have in the UK the great Lord Sumption. You may never have heard of Lord Sumption until tonight, but this is a favor I'm doing to you, introducing you to the great... Lord Sumption. Okay, we could use a Lord Sumption here. Even though we don't have titles of nobility in the U.S., I'll take Lord Sumption any day over the creeps ruling over us. Lord Sumption says this, because for one thing, people, remember how people used to say, well, you care only about the economy, and I care about human life. Okay, first of all, I, I just showed you all the human lives lost because of the lockdown, so I, I'm not exactly convinced. But even being a sport, what a ridiculously juvenile bifurcation that is. Like the economy has no connection to human life. Oh, yeah, well, that's why those people are starving, because of a disruption of the economy. They, we're dealing with people who think the economy is like that guy on the Monopoly board. You know, that short little guy. And, you know, like they imagine, you know, he's not wearing a monocle, although we all remember him as wearing one. He's not. But they imagine... The economy is made up of short, white-haired people wearing a monocle, carrying sacks of money with dollar signs on them, I mean, just, just, just thirsty for profits, and that's the economy. The economy is something that they're just too superior even to, to bother to study. All they know is there's a lot of wickedness in it. Well, how can you have a conversation with people like this? Of course they're going to think, well, the well, we can just keep things closed. We'll just print the money, or we'll just say the government will get it. It's all just nonsensical childishness. So Lord Sumption wanted to begin his remarks by responding to that, and then he gets into other things. He says, money is not just for plutocrats. You and I and the editor of The Guardian and the driver of the number nine bus and the Archbishop of Canterbury and the cashier at the supermarket all value and depend on money, not just in the sense that it pays our wages or pensions. Hundreds of thousands of businesses are going under. Millions are moving from jobs to universal credit. A thriving economy of the kind that we are now throwing away is the source of our security and the foundation of our children's future. We would do well not to sneer at it, 
Poverty kills too, and when it does not kill, it maims mentally, physically, and socially. Do we really want to be, he continues, the kind of society where basic freedoms are conditional on the decisions of politicians in thrall to scientists and statisticians, where human beings are just tools of public policy? A society in which government can confine most of the population without controversy is not one in which civilized people would want to live, regardless of their answers to these questions. Is it worth it? My own answer is no. Guidance is fine. Voluntary self-isolation is fine and strongly advisable for the more vulnerable. Most of them will do it by choice, but coercion is not fine. There is no moral or principled justification for it. What sort of life do we think we are protecting? There is more to life than the avoidance of death. Life is a drink with friends. Life is a crowded football match or a live concert. Life is a family celebration with children and grandchildren. Life is companionship, an arm around one's back, laughter or tears shared at less than two meters. These things are not just optional extras. They are life itself. They are fundamental to our humanity, to our existence as social beings. That's Lord Sumption. Here's old Woods here. Well, you can cheer for Lord Sumption. He deserves it. What I want to close with is a mission for you in this room. People who are living in irrational fear of the virus already have their representatives, the entire entertainment world, the media, virtually all of the political class. And the rest of us have almost no one. People whose family members died because their procedures were indefinitely postponed or who lost a loved one to suicide, who've had everything they've poured their hearts into, crushed and destroyed, they have no one. Elderly people dying of social isolation and who are told they can see their grandkids through a window or over Zoom, but who think they themselves can best judge what life they want to live, likewise have no one to speak for them. You may have heard of the case in Colorado, Fair Acres Manor, people in wheelchairs holding signs saying, rather die from COVID than loneliness, or prisoners in our own home, or give us freedom. One of the administrators at that nursing home said they want to be able to hug their grandchildren. They want to be able to hold the hands of their loved ones. And one of the residents said, we did this because one thing we have to look forward to is a simple hug. It gives us meaning. The physical and mental health toll of the restrictions and shutdowns is staggering, and nobody's allowed to mention it for fear of being told they want grandmothers to die. No one will speak for them except you. People will hate you for this. Automatons who can do nothing but repeat CBS News talking points will think you're terrible. The rest of us will consider you a hero with every speech you give, every article you write, every social media post, every attempt to resist, you'll be a hero. There's nobody coming to the rescue. You must be the voice of the voiceless, because if it isn't you, it will be no one. Thank you. Okay, everybody, that's gonna do it. Now listen, if you like and appreciate what I am doing, you are gonna be like a kid in a candy store. Also, as a supporting listener of The Tom Woods Show, which you can do at supportinglisteners.com. I got the group off Facebook for obvious reasons. We're on MeWe now. 
You can't see the group unless I invite you there. And the way you get invited is by joining over at supportinglisteners.com. So go ahead and do that. You're going to be very glad you did. It's a group of people you're going to learn a lot from. You'll be able to keep up with what's really going on in the world, what the real numbers are, what the trends are in terms of the virus. And also, as a nice added benefit, you won't be called a grandma killer. So check that out at supportinglisteners.com, and I'll see you next week. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.